Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Ben Carson. And we are here with another podcast, Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. You know, common sense is not common anymore, is it? How often do you find yourself, you know, asking yourself, what the heck is happening after you look at a news broadcast? And uh, as I travel around the country, everybody's saying the same thing. What is going on with our country? But uh, the role of media is something that we want to talk about today. You know, the press is the only business entity that is protected by a constitution. Of all the things going on in this country, it's the only one. And that's because it was supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the people would know what they, which direction they want to go in. This country was supposed to be run on the will of the people, of, by, and for the people. Now, a lot of people didn't think that that would work. The Europeans in particular thought that it was laughable, the ideal, because they were used to having a monarch, a monarch and a ruling structure. And they said, it'll never work. It was the great experiment. And when the Constitution was finished in uh, 1787 and Benjamin Franklin came out of the hall, a woman said to him, what do we have here, sir? A republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic, if we can keep it. But being able to keep that republic has a lot to do with the kind of media that we have. And today, to help us dissect this issue out, we have none other than John Solomon. How could we have anybody better to talk about the media than him? You know, he has been a a prize-winning investigative journalist. Uh, He brought solvency, financial solvency to the Washington Times. He was a great reporter for the Washington Post, a great reporter for uh, AP. Basically, all the major news media, everybody knows him uh, and the integrity that he brings, which is something that is unfortunately fairly rare these days. Whenever I see young journalists and I have a chance to talk to them, I always say, you know, you come from a rich heritage, and somehow it's been destroyed. 
and maybe you can be the, on the forefront of bringing it back. Well, John Solomon is on the forefront of the good parts of it right now. I want to welcome you uh, to this podcast, and thank you for being here. And, you know, you've had a, a very successful uh, career in journalism. What do you think of the media today? You know, it really began evolving. There was a moment in my career where for the first time I saw an evolution. And for most of my career, I grew up with the AP. You weren't allowed to have an opinion. If you had an opinion in the newsroom, you got kicked out. And I love that about it. You came in, you talk facts, whatever uh, ideas or political ideas you had, you checked them at the door and you didn't bring them into the newsroom. And in fact, I went a little bit further. I, I, not all reporters do this, but I've never voted since I've been a professional reporter because I believe that that would be such an expression. If I pick someone in the election, how could I be a neutral arbiter of covering both people? So I took the idea of neutrality as being so important. And almost all of my colleagues in the 80s and 90s who were my mentors took that, uh, that idea seriously. They weren't perfect. There was still bias back in those days. But people generally had a principle uh, to be neutral. And I was in the Washington Post newsroom, I think it was the summer of 2007, the day the Scooter Libby uh, verdict came down. This was Dick Cheney's former chief of staff. He was convicted of leaking uh, crimes related to the leaking of a name of a CIA operative named Valerie Plum. And when the verdict was announced, half of the Washington Post newsroom sat up, sat up and applauded. They were like cheering on the verdict, something that we're supposed to be covering uh, neutral. I had never in my, at that point, nearly 20-year career, had never seen such an overt expression of bias. And I got so upset. I remember walking into um, the editor's office. I went to see Len Downey, a very respected executive editor of the Washington Post. And you can't let this happen. And to his credit, he came out and scolded people saying, we don't do things like that. We cover things here and uh, kind of tamped it down. But it was the beginning of an advent of an era where three significant things happened. For the first time, journalists began to pick sides. And rather than treat both sides equally, they picked their favorite side, much like the British press has done for a long time. And there was an us and them mentality forming in the medium. The second thing was they became less and less curious. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, could say the border is secure and no reporter challenges him, not even on national television. And I think the third part is the beginning of social media uh, gave uh, an enormous temptation for reporters to step out of fact reporting and to start expressing opinions. And what began happening over the last 15 months is that uh, opinion began masquerading as news. Basically, reporters wrote the conclusion of the story before they had the facts. And those three things, I think, have really harmed what is a very noble profession. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people have conspiracy theories about how the news media are all working together, colluding to push a certain agenda. Is, is it that or is it the fact that we have a constant 24-7 news cycle and people are vying for attention. Yeah, listen, I think that was the beginning of it. The idea that you, you had an endless news out of fill and uh, also the business model changed from having traditional advertising to you had to get a click. And so you became more and more tempted to get clicks. And over time, I think the temptation to get a click and hope it, the story was right, then knowing the story is right grew. And that's why I think in Russia collusion, uh, which was the really first major industry-wide failure story that I've seen in my career, uh, people were more worried about the click than they were about whether what they were writing was true. But when you start to look at these new documents, Dr. Carson, that uh, John Durham, the special prosecutor, has recently put out in 
the news medium, you begin to see reporters and their sources colluding as one side. The media becomes almost a co-conspirator. There's a moment where uh, Fusion GPS, the Clinton fundraise, or, uh, uh, opposition research firm, is sending something to our reporter. Okay, that's legitimate. Send me a tip. I'll look at it. But then they start to tell him, if you call this senator and this congressperson, you're going to get the quote you want. And sure as heck, if you go look and see, they did exactly that. So the source starts dictating the journalist's behavior, and that becomes more collusion that becomes more corrosive to the independence of journalism. So I think this situation has valved. Today's uh, modern day journalism seems to be a lot less concerned about neutrality and independence and a lot more concerned about being in the pack. If you watch the White House Correspondents Dinner, you go to these award dinners, which I now eschew, I don't even go to them anymore. They all have an idea and it's Donald Trump was the enemy and we're good. Abortion should be allowed and anyone's against it is, uh, is a Neanderthal. Uh, the profession has become infused with ideologues and the idea that facts are a neutral thing has faded. And I'm very worried that this is a very hard thing to reverse. I, I agree with you that the profession's off the rails. Well, you know, I, I had my own personal experiences with it as secretary when uh, all of the mainstream media came after me saying he's buying a $31,000 dining room table and trying to cut the budget at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after a, an extensive over $1 million taxpayer investigation into this, absolutely nothing, no wrongdoing whatsoever, not a peep. Yeah. Not a peep. That, that level of dishonesty uh, really caused him to question the integrity of the mainstream media. And think about it, at the same time, sir, you were being terrorized by that story, which turned out to be a legitimate purchase. Uh, the Hunter Biden story was being suppressed. And there, there's millions of dollars of corrupt deals occurring on Joe Biden's watch. Uh, the double standard that you would be subjected to something that really wasn't an important story. Uh, and then the other story, which has really significant long-term consequences for our security, was completely hushed by that same media group. I think that's why Americans have lost so much trust in the profession. But do you think there's a possibility that what Elon Musk has done will at least have a positive impact on the social media world? I do. I think our founding fathers had a panacea for ills just like this. I mean, I'm not sure they I would imagine the press would go this route, but it was always competition in the free marketplace. All right. So uh, Facebook and Twitter won and got big and they started suppressing well, let's go create some competition and show them what the opposite effect is. And things like Truth and Getter and now maybe Elon Musk taking Twitter and bringing it back to its roots, not its censored current or a censored current uh, current uh, state. Uh, that's all the market forces at work. And I think the only way journalism gets fixed long term is for us to create institutions that go back to the future, go back to facts without opinion. And that's why I created Just the News. We don't do opinion pieces on our site. We don't even have an op-ed department. We just try to give people facts. And also, we're not so arrogant to say, I'm Chuck Todd. You have to believe what I say on Meet the Press. I put in my story a tab called Dig In, and everybody can look at my facts and my reporters' facts and decide for themselves. I trust the American people to be smart enough. A lot of reporters today think it's their job to uh, lead by the nose Americans that they look down on. They have the same sentiments. A lot of the newsrooms have the same sentiments that we saw in the Pete Strzok Lisa Page uh, text messages, those smelly, awful Walmart people, the deplorables that I guess 
Uh, I guess Joe Biden's got, got the new one, the extremists. It's all just a, a profession of elitists that look down on everyday Americans. I know everyday Americans are smart. I know you know that too, because you travel the country as a candidate. Well, it was, it was pretty amazing to me this week how uh, the president talks about the MAGA people being extremist and yeah. being very dangerous to our country. And then in the, the same breath says, I'm bringing people together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, oh. it's almost it's almost as if they don't think that people have the ability to think, to analyze, to put two plus two together. And yeah. I think that's something that should be pretty offensive to the American people. Yeah, but uh, you, you you recently uh, had a a little run in with Stacey Abrams, I understand. <laughs> we did a little research on her. She hasn't uh, said too much yet. We'll see. What do you What do you think is going on there, or is that something you can reveal? Absolutely. Listen, I think it's fascinating what we're learning. And you know, I um, many years ago when I was at the Washington Times, I had the great honor to get to know Bob Woodson. And Bob Woodson grew up in the height of the civil rights movement. He was right there alongside of Martin Luther King and all the great folks. But at some point, he pivoted in a different direction, believing that the long-term opportunity for African-Americans, for minorities, for the working poor in America was economic opportunity. And he saw a lot of his old guards stick in the uh, the 1960s mode and just keep this victimization going. And he, he used to use a term, he called it race hustlers, which is people that use race and they get rich off of it, but they never really make the situation better for the African-Americans and working poor, all the people they say they stand for. So I had this question not too long ago, as did Peter Schweitzer, the great uh, author and investigative journalist. How does Stacey Abrams go in 2018 from having a net worth of $109,000, lots of student loan and a lot of debt, lose an election, and then fail up into being a millionaire? So we put, we put that story together. By the way, I'm all for people being successful in business. I don't criticize success, but we wanted to understand how did she do it? Because she wasn't a successful governor's candidate. She had not been a successful business person. Here's what she did. She formed a company that gave loans to small businesses by taking their future receivables, which is, we'll give you cash now. It's kind of like a payday lender loan. Right. Uh, we'll give you cash now, and then we'll collect your, uh, your future receivables. Well, that's a very risky business. It had a 16% default rate. Banks would be mortified if they had a default rate that I'd. So over time, she evolves this business into going to Barack Obama's administration and saying, you take the risk on these loans. Federal taxpayers, you take the risk, and I'll take the profits. And I take and the benefits. <laughs> she did, and all of a sudden, she got a $300,000 check one year. That's a pretty handsome deal. And we, the American people, ended up with $1.5 million of her failed loans, a 16% failure rate on $10 million of loans. Over time, she goes from $109,000 uh, net worth to $3.2 million. Uh, and uh, I think people look at that and say, that's the elitist system. That's the, the two systems of justice. I work hard. I can barely make uh, my gas bill and my grocery bill. But Stacey Abrams can lose an election race and now be a millionaire by living off the taxpayers' um, uh, protection. And I think those are the sort of stories that resonate with people today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I recently uh, wrote a book that's coming out soon. I'm called excited created for it. equal, yeah, and uh, it, it delves into some of the issues of how people have exploited, particularly the African American community in this country, for their own advantage, and really haven't done anything for the community whatsoever. And I, I'm encouraged 
because, you know, I used to go to various events and if they were conservative, I would be like the only black face there. And now there's plenty of black faces there. And I'm very glad that a lot of people are actually starting to analyze things for themselves and, and recognize what's going on. Yeah, I see it in the younger generation of African-Americans, too, that are much less worried about the old uh, battles and much more worried about economic empowerment, economic opportunity. They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be the next great business person. And I think that is exactly why Bob Woodson and people like you came along and said, we got the debate wrong. Yes, we had to fix the civil rights and the voting rights. Yeah. Now it's about empowering people to move up the ladder. And I think this generation of African-Americans are going to be so successful under, this is a fact that Newt Gingrich once shared with me. It's such an amazing fact. Under Donald Trump, we ended up creating 46,000, I think it is, somewhere in that millionaires, black millionaires for the first time, the largest number in history. Poverty went down while you were uh, a HUD secretary, while President Trump was president. It went down by historic numbers. Economic empowerment is the path for all Americans to succeed. That's true. And the old, the old ales are just a way for people to make uh, con money on the side uh, through politics. And the wonderful thing about the previous administration is that philosophy was that a rising tide floats all boats yeah. and you know not let's not do identity politics let's do things that really strengthen the economy and make things better for everybody and it worked <laughs> it worked extremely yeah. well and uh, when we go the opposite direction everybody's being hurt so, but we will be back in a moment to continue this conversation with uh, Don Solomon The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back with John Solomon on Common Sense. And uh, you heard a lot of Common Sense just a few minutes ago. Well, now we're going to look for some more Common Sense regarding social media, because, you know, with people no longer reading newspapers and some of them aren't looking at TV that much, they're doing a lot of social media, however. What's a responsible way, in your opinion, for people to be well-informed today? Not, not indoctrinated, and pushed in one direction or another, but 
just to be well informed. Yeah, listen, I think curiosity is the first thing that Americans have to be more of. I think we took for granted for a long time that what we got fed in the New York Times or what got fed on our Facebook feed was going to be true. And we learned out that isn't true. We've created many false realities. Uh, the Russia collusion story, the Ukraine impeachment story, uh, the Lafayette Square story, the Russian bounty story, the media, the traditional big tech slash uh, news media giants gave us many bad stories over the last six years, often because they had a personal animus against the holder of the White House at the time, Donald Trump. So you have to be curious. You have to look beyond one headline and research things two or three. And I think more and more people that I meet, whether it's an Uber driver when I'm talking to them or I'm on the, on the campaign trail talking to someone, people are now realizing I've got to read three or four things when I have time. I got to Google more than the first item that comes up in my search and get a more 360 view and then make up my mind. And one of the reactions we get at Just the News that people really like is uh, they, they might look at the way I wrote my story or one of my reporters wrote the story, but they love being able to go in. One of the, the most popular click thing on my site after landing on a story is to click into our dig into and start looking at the documents, the video, the audio, the notes and the research. We make our reporters do that. I think news sites that do that are going to help the American people get beyond their trust factor, help them be more curious. But I think in this environment, you can't take the first headline as truth. I think you have to be curious and go to multiple sources before you, you make a good decision. Now, it seems that everybody's playing to the court of, of public opinion as opposed to the court of, of truth. And I, I wonder, if you ever had a chance to get to know Walter Cronkite, did you ever meet him? I wish I had. I had never had the chance. It would have been an honor. <laughs> Be because reporters of his time, Huntley, Brinkley, all of these guys, yeah. they, were, they were very left-wing radical people. But you wouldn't have known. That's right. They were, they were somehow able to just talk about what was happening without injecting their opinion to it. Why is that so difficult? You know, I think Twitter made it difficult. Facebook and social made it difficult. I saw this evolution at the rise of the social media companies in seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, where people felt a need uh, to be relevant, to have their voice heard rather than their facts heard. And I think that's the biggest transformation in our industry. People are more worried about the celebrity of their voice than the accuracy of their facts. When I got into the profession, uh, I started at the wire services, which were very competitive. UPI and APA, uh, UPI, they tried to beat each other by 30 seconds. That was a that was called a victory. And the rule I was given on day one as a 17-year-old call-up reporter was, get it first, but first get it right. And today, people get it first and hope they're right, and then they just opinionate over the facts. And I think uh, my father used to say to me, if you're going to be a reporter, no one gives a damn about your opinion. Would you please just stick to facts? And that has always stuck in my head. I love my dad. He had so many words of wisdom for me and still does to this day. But I think reporters suddenly found celebrity in social media. They suddenly found celebrity in the, in the a plethora of new television shows. When there's 15 cable networks instead of the four traditional news networks, reporters could go on. And the sound of their own voice became more important than the, ac the accuracy and thoroughness and fairness and balance and neutrality of their facts. And it's that transformation that I think the, the industry is still struggling with today. Well, I guess if it's going to be solved, it's going to be we the people. 
who have to do that by who we patronize. And I know there's a number of of new social media platforms that are being established right now. And uh, I understand that a lot of people are moving over to those new platforms. It's going to be really a matter of how much do we respect freedom of speech in this country? You know, everybody agrees that you have to control people crying fire in a, in a theater. Right. But just in terms of, of their opinions about various things, there is absolutely no reason that we should be finding a way to curtail people's opinion, no matter how despicable they are. And uh, somehow we've got to get to that. Because what are, what's going to happen to our children when they grow up under a system where they're afraid to say anything other than the standard uh, whatever is being told uh, by their teachers or their society. Uh, I'm, I'm very frightened when I see this thing going on. And, you know, when you see what's going on with, with the indoctrination of our children right now, um, do you think there's any precedent for that? No, and it really, you know, there's an entire generation that we may have already, uh, I don't want to say lost, that's the wrong word, but an entire generation that went through an academic system that we didn't have our spotlight on entirely, that you can see the effect. You can see young 20-something and early 30-somethings who were indoctrinated not to be curious, but to take the, whatever their professors told them as truth, to believe that abortion is the only lawful way in America, to believe that Republicans are the crony capitalists of the world. They were indoctrinated, and it's going to be very hard for that generation to uh, sort out the propaganda they were given in the universities particularly. But the big move over the last four years is what used to be sort of a a liberal uh, propaganda machine in some of these universities has moved down now to as low as the K to 12. And I think parents woke up to that very quickly. Maybe it's the great blessing in disguise from a horrible pandemic. Parents started to be at home more with their children, like they're teaching my son and daughter, what? And they rose up and uh, the mama bears and the papa bears of the world are now a fighting force against us. And I think that reaction is going to have a five or 10 year consequence on our education system. I look back to the, you know, the Wall Street movement of 2010, there was a seven or eight year period where I think our education institutions were injecting things in and parents didn't know it. And those students who grew up in that time frame, it's going to take a long time of being in the reality of the real world to realize a lot of what they were told was, well, bad advice. It is rather troubling to think about uh, what's happening right now, but, you know, just in the last week with this leak of Supreme Court documents, when you stop and think about the long hundreds of years tradition of being able to keep those things under wrap, and now suddenly we're in an atmosphere where somebody feels that they need to do that. To me, I get the impression that there are those on the left who feel that they are righteous and that their cause is righteous, and that whatever they do can be covered by that righteousness. And they don't have to really feel guilty about it or take blame for it. It's very much the same attitude that the jihadists have. 
you know, you can you can kill people, you can lie, you can do whatever you do because your cause is just, and they are infidels. Did you get the impression that some of that could be behind this? Yeah, listen, there is a, an, uh, you look at these protesters, I've been out in the streets, I've been confronted by them sometimes coming out and what's got pelted by a bunch of tacos coming out of a, a TV studio. Uh, and they're, you know, it's a silly little thing to do and you laugh at it. I, I said, hey, I would have preferred mild sauce. You got to make light of it. But um, the idea that they are above the rules, that they are bigger than the rules, that they are bigger than uh, the importance of law and order has become a mentality among a fringe of, in both parties, quite frankly, but certainly on the left, it's a little bit more um, pronounced right now. And so going to a, a justice's home and intimidating him is not wrong in their mind. Um, uh, making threats, charging the stage, slapping people on stage, things that your generation, my generation would conceive to do because we knew law and order and rules mattered. There is an entire young generation that has been told rules don't matter. Chaos is the goal and the means justify the ends. And I think until we get back to the notion that order, law, morality matter, that -hmm. there's a reason why we have this in this country because society works better. Uh, uh, we're going to go through some tumultuous periods. We went through this in the 60s. We survived it. And I think the gravity of our republic has a way of taking a pendulum that sometimes swings out of balance and pulls it toward the center. And I think we're at that moment now, the 2022-2024 elections, I suspect will be a market correction where people go back and say, oh, we tried to defund the police thing. We tried the CRT thing. Uh, We tried the woke thing. It doesn't work. We were worse off for it, and they'll come back to the common sense principles that that make this country for 247 years the greatest thing. There's an amazing video that came out yesterday, Doctor. You probably have seen it by now from uh, Job Creators Network. And after the last five years of just hearing about everything that's wrong with America, Job Creators Network said, you know what? This is still the most exceptional country God ever created in the world. We need to get back to that a little bit. There's more that we agree on than we divide us. And the American exceptionalism is something we should be proud of. Barack Obama and Joe Biden have spent a lot of time telling us we should be ashamed of America. I think we're getting back to the beginning to be proud of it. Well, I want to explore that a little bit more. We have to take another commercial break. Uh, We'll be right back with more Common Sense. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, and we're back with John Solomon. This very interesting conversation about the media, 
about how you relate to the media and what you can get out of the media. media. Uh, as someone who has been right on the cutting edge of investigative journalism, having won numerous prizes for what you've been able to uncover, what is the secret, or is there a secret, for determining what is truthful and what is not? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, the answer is that uh, you know, truth is achievable. Uh, I, I have argued for a long time, and I, I, I used to get thrown out of some journalism schools for saying this. <laughs> Um, objectivity has been some idea that we've been sold in journalism that isn't true. You can't be objective. Every decision you make in journalism is a subjective decision. What's my picture? What's my headline? Do I use this word or that word? Those are all subjective items. And I think we've hid beyond the idea that we can be objective. We're human. Objectivity is not possible. We have subjective forces within us. And I've always argued reporters, the first thing is you have to come to grips with that. That decisions you make are going to be subjective. You can only achieve three things in journalism. You can achieve accuracy. That's very important. You can achieve uh, precision, which is a little bit different. You can have a series of accurate facts that give an imprecise story. So focus on being accurate, focus on being precise, and focus on being neutral. That's all you can do as a journalist. Those things are very achievable because if you talk to enough people and you get to enough documents and you're patient enough, you're curious and patient, um, most stories are easy to achieve. Even people who might not want to give you a story ultimately appreciate a journalist who wants to be curious and fair and get the bottom of a story, and they'll help you. I think too, too long today, most reporters don't want to uh, get off their duff anymore. They want to tweet and make a phone call and call that journalism. When I first got into the profession, there was an extraordinary journalist. He just passed away a few weeks ago, Walter Mears at the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy that they wrote the uh, Boys on the Bus at, a famous book where every day they would turn to Walter, the AP correspondent, and say, Walter, what's the lead today? Because he had such wisdom and understood it. And he, I, when I first went into him, the first time I was named an executive for the first time in my life in news, I was like 23 years old. I didn't know anything. So I went into this gray-haired uh, a wizard of great journalism, a neutral guy to his last day in life. And I said to him, Walter, what, how do you know when you've got a good reporter? And he said, I look at their souls. I'm like, that's the most esoteric thing I've ever said. No kid, not their souls, the souls of their shoes. If they're worn out, they're going to be a good journalist. And I, I realized that we got to get off our duff more, talk to more people, be curious. You can't get a story by talking to two people. You got to get a story by talking to many people. The search for truth takes time. And I think uh, what we saw in the Russia collusion thing was some guy named uh, Glenn Simpson or Christopher Steele just bow tied a story and gave it to journalists like, oh, that's so easy. It's great. Let's go with it. And they misled this country, not for one year or six months, but for two and a half, nearly three years. And we're still paying the consequences of it. The current Russia-Ukraine crisis has its roots in that dirty trick of 16. People need to be more curious. They need to do more work. We, I like to call it 360 journalism. Talk to a lot of people. Don't make up your mind until you're done with that process. We got to get journalism, journalists off their duff, off their Twitter account, off their cell phone, and get out and see real people like you did yeah, when you ran for the country. When you ran for the president, you were all over the country. You just get so much smarter when you talk to more people. Well, you know, one of the things that I discovered is hamlets in Mississippi or North Dakota, there are people there with common sense. And... Uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of that in Washington for some strange reason. Uh, not today. Now, I'm hoping that historians will look back on the time we live in right now and 
and just say they temporarily lost their minds. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> as, as a parting shot, you know, there are some young people who perhaps are considering a career in journalism. As, as one of the premier journalists of our time, what advice would you give them? Well, the first is you're only as good as your next story. Never rest on your laurels of what you did. Try to go out each day and give people facts and trust that they can make up their own mind. And then as you do that, there's only three things you have to do. Be accurate, be precise, and be neutral. Don't pick a side. Do everything you can to just be fair to both sides and be neutral. I think if you achieve those three things, uh, you're going to serve the American public. And I'd add a third thing now because we live in this wonderful era. Be transparent. Everything you got, give it to the reader and trust them. They're smart. That transparency builds trust among your readers, your viewers, your listeners. And I see a young generation of, of, of students now coming out, some of my interns this year. Uh, they're, they're getting excited about doing just that. And I think that journalism is a noble profession that's on its repair. I hope it's going to be repaired. And I think our country will be better as journalism gets fixed as well. Well, I'll tell you, you bring a sense of optimism to something that looks dreary these days. Yeah. And uh, knowing that there are individuals like you who can be mentors for a lot of the young people who are coming up, uh, I think there, there's hope. We got to remember, this is America. This is not any other place. American dream. Who else has a dream? No one else has a dream. Oh. Only America has a dream. And it's born out of the, the principles of loving your fellow man, caring about your neighbor, developing your God-given talents to the utmost so that you become valuable to the people around you, having values and principles, including truth that govern your life. Those are the things that made us into an exceptional nation. We are an exceptional nation. And by God's grace, we will get through this period and once again, be that shiny city on the hill. Thanks so much, John Solomon, for being with Thanks, us, for Dr. sharing Carson. that wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. It's a great honor to be with you. And I love, I couldn't agree more with your closing statement. That was beautiful. So great having John Solomon with us here today with a tremendous amount of wisdom. And we'll be right back with a final word and a prescription for common sense. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, and we're back 
with common sense. You know, here's the prescription for this week. Try turning off social media for a week. Believe me, you can survive because you've survived before there was social media and you did just fine. So it is possible to do. So let it go for a week and instead, you know, read some journals, uh, read some reputable newspapers and uh, just take the chatter out of your ear constantly. And then see how you feel at the end of that week. And then let that inform what you do subsequently. You know, uh, some of us have become news junkies. It's not even news. It's not real news. It's fake news. So often a a phrase that has been coined and now has uh, spread around the world because it's so prevalent. It's going to be us, we the people, who decide, are we going to continue to encourage it? Are we going to continue to fund it because we listen to it, because we partake of it? Or are we going to be more discerning in the way that we do things? If we are, the media will comply with our wishes. They will transform themselves into whatever they think it's necessary to be successful. We're the ones who get to decide what they need to do in order to be successful. And it's so important, as I mentioned at the beginning, the only business protected by a constitution. Our founders spent a great deal of time studying various governments that had existed throughout the history of mankind. And one of the things that that, that they discovered is that you had to have a free press, a press that can truly dissect out problems, give people an impression of what is going on, be neutral in the way that they explore things. That would empower a nation. And it did empower our nation. Now, we have not always had, you know, journalists who were above board. I mean, you can go back to the very beginning. There were a a lot of journalism scandals. But it's the trend. It's the tendency that's concerning right now. As John Solomon said, we now have sides You know, they pick and choose. Which side are we going to be on? What are we going to advocate? And I think perhaps the the best instance that I can come up with is the whole Hunter Biden computer incident. Now, it is very clear that that would have had a very deleterious impact for Joe Biden in the presidential race and for the media to say we're going to protect him we're going to make sure that this story does not see the light of day and and the little cracks of light that do come through on it we're going to snuff those out we're going to make sure that people think that there's no validity to them and Probably just as bad as doing all of that is the fact 
that you don't hear many apologies. You don't hear them saying, you know, we really blew it. We really shouldn't have done that. We've heard a little bit of that, but not what should have been done. And it should be exposed what was done, how it was done, and we should make sure that it is never done again. It's taking longer and longer for people to trust in our media anymore. And we don't want that. We want a, a media that's respected. That's why I talk to young journalists all the time about integrity and the difference that they can make in our country. Our country is a great country. You know, I've visited 68 countries. I've lived overseas. There is no place like America, but it is changing rapidly. You know, I was with a driver from Venezuela this week. I was with one from Romania. They both had the same story. They said when they came here many years ago, uh, it was such a joy. And now they see our country turning into what they tried to flee away from. There's still time. And the journalists will play a major role, a major role. I can't, just, can't emphasize it enough in terms of what our destiny will be. So please keep that in mind and best wishes until our next visitation. And remember, common sense. And if you like this, give us an evaluation, tell your friends about us and make sure you spread the word. Please subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts for Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so that you never miss an episode. Remember to rate and review us. And if you're enjoying this show, please tell your friends about it. I want to hear from you. You can email me your questions. Send them to ben at americancornerstone.org. We'll try to answer many of the questions uh, online. Uh, and keep them coming, but keep your questions short. Until next week, be well, treasure the cornerstones of faith, liberty, community, and life.